there are some events in life that change you. Isn't that true? I'm sure we can all recall events or times in our life that changed us. Perhaps a new job. Uh, it changes where you go, what you know. Getting married changes you, where you live, what you do. Each of us carry around both smiles and scars from events that changed our life forever. For the Christian, the pivotal event in life is salvation. It was the moment when we were plucked out of the orphanage of sin and adopted into the family of God. It formed a continental divide between the desert of worldliness and the abundant life that is in Christ. Our salvation changed everything. But how did salvation change us? How does salvation change you and me as believers? What effect or impact should salvation or the salvation of God's people have on us as believers? We often think of salvation as something we're going to experience in the future, and that is true. We're going to be saved from the presence of sin, but salvation has impact us or should impact us in such a way that it changes us in the present. How should our salvation in Jesus Christ change us in the world in which we live? How is that evidenced? Well, the salvation that God's people experience should lead to a fundamental change in our attitudes towards death. Chapter 46, verses 28 to 30, this is a continuation of Joseph with his relationship with his brothers. We saw last week that they were reconciled to each other. They were delivered. And now we're going to see what salvation does to the lives of Joseph and Jacob in their life. What happened to them as a result of their salvation should happen to us, those of us who are believers and have experienced salvation. The salvation that God's people experience should lead to a fundamental change in one's attitude towards death. Verse 28, then he, Jacob, sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way to go to Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen. So Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, now let me die, since I have seen your face, because you are still alive. That is Jacob's response when he sees Joseph. He says, now let me die. Let me die in peace. Why? Because I have seen your face, and you are still alive. This is from a man, Jacob, who uh, twice 
in this story had declared that the loss of his sons would bring him in mourning to Sheol, the realm of the hopeless dead. This was a person who, because Joseph, he thought, was dead, and because he may lose his son Benjamin, he said, if I lose Benjamin, I'm going to die because of a broken heart. That was his view of death. But now that he sees Joseph and that Joseph is alive, his whole perspective on death changes because Joseph was alive. Those who experience salvation and Jacob and Joseph's brothers are now delivered. They're experiencing a salvation, if you will. And one of the impacts that salvation has on God's people is it should alter one's It should revolutionize how we see death. And you see that in Jacob from despair to being hopeful. He can die in peace now because Joseph is alive. And those of us before we became believers may have been fearful of death, may have uh, looked at death as something that was the end-all, be-all. But when you became a believer in Jesus Christ by means of faith, It should impact and alter and revolutionize how we see death. Why? Because Jesus Christ is alive. One of the major impacts that salvation has on you and me in the present is that it should alter and fundamentally change our view of death. Secondly, the salvation that God's people experience should lead them to heed God's instruction to be separate from the fallen world in which they live. In other words, be holy. Verses 31 to 34. Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, my brothers and those of my father's house who were in the land of Canaan, have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for their occupation has been to feed livestock. And they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And so it shall be, Joseph says, when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation, that you shall say, your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth even till now, both we and also our fathers. And this is why I want you to say this, Joseph is saying to his brothers. This is why, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Joseph is telling his brothers specifically, I want you to tell Pharaoh when you go before him, tell him that you're shepherds. Why is that so important? Why is Joseph putting so much emphasis on telling his brothers when they go before Pharaoh, tell them you're shepherds? Think about this. Joseph knows the Egyptian culture. He's been living in the culture for years. He knows that the Egyptians would not approve or accept these foreign shepherds who were new to their community, to their country, because they were shepherds. Joseph also knows that his brothers would have been tempted to say that they were not shepherds in order to be accepted by the people in whose land they were now living in. 
So he specifically instructs, instructs his brothers to say that they were shepherds before Pharaoh so that this new community would be separated from the Egyptians and not be influenced by their ideas and their attitudes that would have been detrimental to their formation as God's people in a foreign land. Joseph does not want his brothers to be influenced by Egypt. And he knows that the people of the land hate shepherds. So he's going to use that to his advantage to say, hey, when you go before Pharaoh, tell them you're shepherds. The brothers would not have wanted to do this. But Joseph knows, believe me, trust me, go before Pharaoh and tell them you are shepherds. It is interesting to note that Joseph in this story, his Egyptian name was what? Do you remember what his Egyptian name was? Probably, we probably don't remember. It's Zaphnath Paneah. It's only mentioned one time. After he rose to a position of great prominence, Pharaoh gave him an Egyptian name, Zaphpath Paneah, and he ended up marrying Pharaoh's daughter. But it's interesting to note that the author never refers to Joseph by his Egyptian name. It's always by his Hebrew name. Why does the author do that? Why does he never call Joseph by his Egyptian name? The reason why the author doesn't do that is because he wants to show that Joseph, by always calling him Joseph, was never influenced by the Egyptian culture. Joseph was never influenced by that culture, but he's concerned that his brothers, who are weaker than he is, will. So he wants to make sure that they're separated from the, the ungodly pagan culture of which they're a part of now, because he knows that they will be influenced by it and will compromise their identity as God's people. So he says, be shepherds and so that he can separate them, put them in a land where he can watch over them and look after them. This is exactly what God tells of his people who have now been redeemed and have experienced salvation. You are to be separate from the world, the pagan world in which we live. We are not to be a part and adopt the attitudes and the ideas of the fallen world. That should not be a part of the Christian life. Jesus says, be holy. God says, be holy, for I am holy. And here we're seeing that illustrated for us in the Old Testament before Jesus even came in the life of Joseph and his relationship with his brothers. Joseph was doing now what the greater Joseph will do later when he comes in calling his people to be separate from the pagan society in which we live. How well are Christians doing that today? Joseph does not want his brothers to be identified as culturally Egyptian. And there are many people who are Christians who have experienced God's salvation and you would observe their life and you would never be able to know whether or not they are Christian or are they of the world. One of the experiences of God's salvation, one of the effects it should have on you and me as believers is to be separate, to be holy, and not be a part of the ungodly pagan culture and society in which we live. Thirdly, the salvation that God's people experience will provide them with an opportunity to immediately serve the king of the world. Verses 1 to 6 of chapter 47. Then Joseph went and told Pharaoh, 
and said, My father and my brothers, their flocks and their herds, and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. And indeed, they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. We don't know why he took five people, five of his brothers. He had more than five, but the the author doesn't tell us why he chose five. And so then he, Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. And they said to Pharaoh, we have come to dwell in the land because your servants have no pasture for their flocks. For the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now therefore, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh spoke to Joseph saying, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my livestock." Here you see the Egyptian brothers just barely put step foot in Egypt's soil, Egyptian soil. And immediately, Pharaoh, the ruler of the land, says, Hey, Joseph, if you know of anybody who's competent, put them to work for me. If they're like you, Joseph, I want them working for me. And right away, they can be employed in the service of the king of the land. And that is true for any person who experiences salvation in this world. God gives us the privilege of being able to serve the king of the world. It's a privilege to serve. Service is a sign of someone who has been affected by the Holy Spirit of God because one has now experienced a relationship, has been reconciled to God through faith in Jesus. That's exactly what happens. Service is a privilege, and God is giving, not only does he save us and give us an opportunity to be in right relationship with him, he gives us an opportunity to serve him. So let me ask you a question for those of you who are believers in Jesus. What are you doing to serve the king? It's a challenge. What are you doing to serve the king? What is Jesus asking you to do for him to serve the king? Now that this pandemic, it seems like we're on the other side of the pandemic, it's going to be an opportunity to serve God in ways that maybe we couldn't do so before. What is God going to be asking Countryside Covenant Church to do as a result of this on the other side of the pandemic? What we see here is that salvation, the effect that salvation has on God's people is that it will provide us with an opportunity to serve the king. And there are many believers who have experienced God's salvation and they're sitting on the sidelines as I see a deer running across the field (laughs) in service of the king. Fourthly, The salvation that God's people experience should lead them to be a blessing to those around them. Verses 7 to 10. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob and set him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil, that is difficult, have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. 
So Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. Here we see that Jacob, as a result of being reconciled with his, bro- his son, is blessing those around him. He's blessing Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the great person in all of the land. But here we see Jacob blessing Pharaoh. He's blessing the person who is in his proximity. And anyone who experiences salvation in Jesus Christ is being called to be a blessing to those around us. So this is what happens when a person experiences salvation. They get a new perspective on death, right? But not only that, they're being called to live a certain way in this pagan society, to be holy. And then after they're being called to be holy, they're being called into service. And after you're being called into service, you should be blessing others around us. This is, these are general principles that God is showing us in the story of Genesis for those who are saved, for those who are believers. Now, if you are being called out of the world to not live a life that is pagan in an ungodly world, in a sinful, broken world, and we are called to service and you serve and you are being a blessing to others, then this is what will happen for those who experience God's salvation. They will experience divine favor in times of crisis. Verses 11 and 12. And Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them a possession, that is, a permanent inheritance property in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. Then Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with bread according to the number in their families. This is what Joseph is doing. He is showing favor to his brothers and his entire family. Mind you, this is going on in the midst of a famine. They're supposed to have seven years of famine. Two years have already gone by. There's still five years of famine left. And what is Joseph doing? He's meeting their needs and providing for them in the midst of a famine. What Joseph does for his brothers is not the same as what he's going to do for the Egyptians. There is a clear distinction in the mind of Joseph between his family members and those who are not in his family. He is not going to bestow and supply all of these Egyptians with the best of the land and daily provisions like like he's giving his brothers. The Egyptians are going to be treated differently. And so we see that God's, uh, when we experience God's salvation, the effect of that salvation, the result of that salvation, when we are faithful and being holy, serving him, being a blessing to others, is that he will bestow divine, divine favor upon you in times of crisis. And there are many people in the world today who, are, who would love nothing more than divine favor in a time of crisis because there's a lot of people hurting right now. A lot of people out of work, a lot of people in dire financial straits, and that may continue to go on. But salvation can lead to divine favor. That's what happens here. And that is what is available to you and me as God's people. This is what Joseph, this is what our Lord is telling us 
as Jesus provides for our needs and gives us the daily bread that we need in the midst of crisis. I'm reminded of what it says in Matthew chapter 6 when people were worried about what they were going to eat, what they were going to drink, what they were going to wear on their, on their body. And what did Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else, everything that you need, food, shelter, clothing, drink, all that you need will be for provided. That's a guarantee. If you seek first the kingdom and you say, how do you seek first the kingdom? What does that mean? What does that look like when a person seeks first the kingdom of God? You be holy, service, and be a blessing to those around you. And when that is our goal and our aim as believers, God will meet your need. That's a divine promise. Are we being holy? Are we living a holy life? Are we serving? Are we being a blessing to those around us, to each other in the church and in our community? If we do that, God will make sure that every single one of your needs will be met. There are many reasons God saves you and me. To bring glory to himself, to appease his justice, to demonstrate his sovereignty. But one of the sweetest reasons God saved you is because he loves you. He's fond of you. He likes having you around. He thinks you are the best thing to come down the pike in quite a while. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If he had a wallet, a photo of you would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring and a sunrise every morning. And whenever you want to talk, he'll listen. He can live anywhere in the universe, and he chose to live in your heart. And the Christmas gift he sent to you in Bethlehem, face it, friends, he loves you. He loves you. He has saved you and me. And we should reflect that in how we live in the society in which we live today because it will make a difference in someone else's life. Pray, please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word this morning and for the free gift of eternal life that you have given to us through your son, Jesus. And Lord, as Joseph's brothers uh, evidenced the salvation that they had experienced, we pray, Lord, that those same truths will be evident in our own lives as well. May the knowledge of our salvation and the experience that we are saved by God's grace through your, through your son Jesus, may the knowledge of that, Lord, radically transform our view concerning death, giving us hope. May we desire to be holy and separate from the sinful, fallen attitudes and ideas and activities that are rampant in our broken world. Lord, help us to live in such a way that we seek the opportunities to serve you and to be a blessing to others, knowing that if we do so, you will meet every single one of our needs, even in the midst of a crisis. And in so doing, Lord, the world will see that you are our God, that you are God, and may they be blessed as well as a result. So, Lord, we thank you for the gift of eternal life and help us to live that way in gratitude and honoring you 
the one true God who is worthy and deserving of all praise. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. I will ask that you please stand now for our closing song, Mighty to Save. Lyrics will be on the screen. Christ is mighty to save. And we have experienced that salvation. And we should demonstrate that in the world in which we live so that people will know that we are his disciples. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace knowing that you have a personal relationship with him. Now go in peace. Amen.